Well, today I'm going to conclude our series, Are You Ready? Are You Rapture Ready? Now, most of you know what the rapture is, and I've talked about it before, but it's what Paul alludes to in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, and also here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 52. He says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. See, that's going to happen. That's an event that is still yet to come. Suddenly, instantly, the trumpet of the Lord's going to sound, and, and around the world, millions and millions of believers are going to be transported up into the air to be with the Lord forever. Those who have already died, their bodies are going to be resurrected and brought back up to, to meet their souls and their spirits. And its event begins God's end times calendar clicking again. Now, for those of us who are gone, we're caught up. We're part of this rapture experience. We go on to our reward experience. Jesus, again, Revelation 22, verse 12, among other places in Scripture, reminds us that he is coming soon. And he's bringing his reward with him. And he's going to reward every believer for what he or she has done in their life subsequent to trusting Christ as our Savior. Now, the only way to be ready for that event, the rapture, is to have already trusted Christ as our Savior by just believing that he died on the cross for our sins. The Bible says in Romans 10, 8, if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But we've been talking about believers, and primarily most of us here are, and maybe all of us are here today. And so we've been talking about the last several weeks is what will we be rewarded for? And we saw at least four things, and I thought this list is extensive, but I think there are four important areas that we're going to be rewarded for, and certainly areas that we can work on every single day. We talked about family buy-in. That's all about loving the Lord with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, and all our strength. And for those who really do that and really buy in and make the Lord not just a compartment of their life, but really a centerpiece, a focal point of our life, he's going to give the crown of righteousness. Then we have personal productivity that we talked about. Jesus declared in John 15, verse 8, that, that we should produce fruit, that we should produce fruit unto the kingdom. In other words, our life should have count more than just for ourselves. We should have done things that have eternal value. And we looked at attitude fruit, and we looked at action fruit, praising God, and, and especially helping others come to faith in Jesus Christ. For that, he gives the crown of rejoicing. Then we talked about management reliability. We're reminded in Psalm chapter 24 that the earth is the Lord and everything in it. Everything that we have is God's. And he has merely entrusted some of his possessions, some of his ownings, to us to manage for him. And we'll be rewarded for how we manage that. Again, whether we just use it for our own uh, glorification and our own edification and our own pleasure, or whether we use it to advance the kingdom. See, because in eternity, we're not just going to float on clouds. In eternity, we're going to have positions of responsibility. We're going to be doing things. That's why we need a physical body for a physical, eternal experience. And God is watching right now what we do with what he's entrusted with us with in this life, and that will determine in a large degree of what he will entrust us with in the life to come. Then last week, we talked about faithful perseverance. You know, not only are we given the opportunity to trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior, to receive the gift of eternal life, 
Once that happens, we're also called to suffer with him. We talked about that last week, that, that trials are going to come to every single one of us. They've come to me, they'll come to me again. They've come to you, some of you are in one right now, some of you are just leaving one. Some of us are, 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 are anticipating that sometime in the future we're going to have another trial. And it's how we faithfully persevere through those. Keeping our faith strong and, and, and looking around for others who we can comfort with the comfort that God gives us. That's what he's going to reward us for. And all those things are going to have a, a very strong determining factor in what our eternal experience looks like. And every believer's eternal experience is not going to be the same. Now, every day of life that we have, today, tomorrow if we have it, and every day this week, every week, month that we have left that God gives us, is an opportunity, and this is what I want you to get, is an opportunity to minimize your ultimate regret. The scene is the closing scene from Schindler's List, now recognized by the American Film Institute as the eighth best and most important movie in the history of American movies. The scene portrays Oscar Schindler, who was a German businessman during World War II, who initially was out to make a lot of money for himself. And so he, he contacted, he was a member of the Nazi party, and he contacted a lot of his, his SS friends and said, hey, can you give me some of those Jewish people to work in my factories? But then when he became increasingly aware of the Holocaust, it changed from making money to saving lives. And he's credited with saving over 1,200 Jewish, mostly Polish Jews, from the concentration camps. But at the end of his life, the movie depicts his real feelings when he really came to realize the opportunity that he, he could have tapped into to save many more people. His remorse was huge. The car, how many more people? Why did I keep that car? How many more people would that have won? The ring, this, this is gold. Two more people, I could have saved two more people. Why did I keep this ring? See, that's the same kind of situation all of us are gonna be in to some extent but every day is an opportunity to minimize that regret. Now for some, you might be prone to think it's too late for me. It's too late for me. I've wasted so much of my life. I'm in my twilight years. It's just too late for me. Or maybe my life has been characterized by, by being so far away from God that God could never use me again. Well, if you feel that way, and probably all of us do to an extent, then I want to share a message of hope with you today. If you have your Bible with you, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Matthew, chapter 20. It's the very first book in the New Testament. If you don't have access to a Bible, the entire passage is on the back side of your note sheet in your bulletin. So you can look at it with me. Now, as you're turning to that passage, Matthew chapter 20, let me set the background. Jesus has just had an encounter with a young rich man who has come to him. And the rich man came and, and, and very humbly and, and, and apparently very sincerely said to Jesus, what thing can I do to inherit eternal life? And, of course, Jesus goes through a, a deep conversation with him. We don't have time to, to exegete that passage today. 
But he says, well, you know, you know keep the commandments. And, and he says, I've kept all the commandments from the time I was a little boy. Now, Jesus knew that wasn't true. So Jesus said, okay, you want to be complete? You want to be perfect? Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And so at that point, the, the rich young man grew very solemn because he had a lot of property, a lot of money. So he went away that day without salvation. He wasn't willing to give up what he had. Jesus then said, how hard is it going to be for a rich person to enter the kingdom? How, how tough it's going to be? How difficult it is for rich people to put their faith in what needs to happen to receive eternal life? And then Peter came, that impetuous disciple, and he says, he said, well, Jesus, we, we, we've done exactly what you just told him to do. We've left our jobs. We've left our families. We've left our, our wealth. We've done everything. We've given it up all for you. And he says, so, so what's in store for us? And Jesus responds saying this in Matthew 19, verse 28 and 20. He says, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne. Now, we're talking about eternity. We're talking about the millennial kingdom. We're talking about everything we've been talking about in this series. He says, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And he's talking to his immediate disciples now. The original 12 save Judas who will later betray him, but Matthias will take his place. But then he goes on to say something for all of us. He says, As, and everyone else who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake, sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. Now having said that, Jesus then immediately, without a break, shares a parable explaining what he just said. Let's read that parable together, beginning in Matthew chapter 20, verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his field. About the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour, he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came hired, who hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who, who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, friend, I am not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. 
See, Jesus uses this parable to explain what he's just talking about to his disciples. Now, in the parable, a landowner who represents God hires some men to work in his vineyard. Now, we don't know at what time of, 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 the, of the grape season this was, but, but in Israel, they planted vineyards in the side of mountains, in the side of hills, and it was, it was a lot of hard work. And seldom did a landowner have enough servants in his own employ to handle all the work. So he would go out and he would hire day workers. Now, these day workers, they were considered the lowest of all the class. Even slaves were considered to have a better social and life situation than these day workers because the slaves, at least, they were guaranteed food and a place to sleep every night by, by their master. But these folks, they depended on someone hiring them every single day. So they would go to a common place in the, in, in the, in the town, and those who were wanting to hire day workers would come, and they would hire the day workers, a process that's repeated in some places in the United States even today. So he said, I'm going to give each one of you a denarius. Now, a denarius was a Roman currency, and it was equal to the wage that Rome paid a soldier for one day's labor in the Roman army. And it was a very generous salary. These guys were probably absolutely thrilled with that. You're going to give us a denarius? They probably hadn't received a denarius in one day, maybe their entire life. And so they readily agreed, and they went into work for the master. Well, this was 6 o'clock in the morning. That's when the Jewish workday started. Then he said, you know, about the third hour, that would be 9 o'clock, he went out, and he found some more. And the same thing happened. He says, I'll pay you whatever's fair. And again, at noon, he found more. At 3 o'clock, he found some more. And finally, at 5 o'clock, one hour left in the workday, he went out and he hired yet those who hadn't been hired yet. Now, when the workday was done, he called his foreman, who is Jesus Christ, in the parable. And he said, pay the wages, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to start with those who were hired last. Pay them first, and then we'll go back to those who were hired first. Now, naturally, and, and we can certainly understand their position, those who were hired first thought, okay, well, wow, they got a denarius. We're really going to get paid something. But yet when it came time to be paid by them, Jesus gave them the same thing. He gave them a denarius. And at least one was indignant about it. Probably all of them were. But the landowner said, why are you upset? Did I not promise you a denarius? Did you not agree with me to work for a denarius? So why, why are you now questioning me and my fairness? Now there's a whole lot in this parable. But what's really there is hope for every one of us who are tempted to think that it's too late for me. It's not too late for you. That's what this whole parable is about. That's what Jesus is saying. Now remember, he says that in the very beginning of the parable, he talks about the kingdom. Whenever you see Jesus saying, the kingdom of heaven is like this, or the kingdom of heaven, a landowner, he's talking about eternity. He's talking about everything we've been talking about in this series. He's talking about our eternal experience. So he says, you know what eternity is going to be like? You know what heaven's really going to be like? You know what the judgment seat of Christ is going to be like? I'm going to tell you, and he uses this parable to describe it. Now, what can we learn from this parable? What can we apply to our lives? Number one is that God's mercy and generosity transcend human fairness. 
We, we would have agreed with the workers. From, from a purely an employee, employee status, we would have agreed with those who were disgruntled about getting less money than those who would work for only one hour. Or the same amount of money, rather. We would be disgruntled with that, too. But understand this. Every one of them walked away that day with more than they would have been paid by anyone else. And, and, and do you understand, no matter what our position in life is, even now, God is blessing us far, 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 far more than we deserve. The psalmist said, you, not, you do not treat us as our sins deserve. And isn't that true? You know, when we really think about who we are, and when we really think honestly about our relationship with God, with Jesus Christ, every one of us come far short of where even we would like to be. And yet he has been generous and merciful to us. Well, the same thing here. He, he, he's saying, I'm being generous. Yeah, I, I didn't give you. I, I gave you more than anybody else would have gave, given you in the first place. And, and so, so it's up to me to do with what I want to do with these others. You know, it was a Levitical law that day workers had to be paid the same day they worked. It, that was part of the law of Moses. It, it said, don't carry a, a worker's payment over into the next day. Why? Because these particular people were so desperate in their financial situation that if they didn't get paid that day, their family might not eat that day. And so he was trying to be generous. And that's what this whole parable is about. What else? God continues to call believers into his kingdom work. See, this is a parable. This is a, a life situation story that the people could readily identify with that illustrates an eternal principle. You know what? Jesus, God is still looking. No matter what the time of life, no matter what the time of day, no matter what the experience, Jesus is still looking for workers to come into his field. What did Jesus say one time when he was looking over Jerusalem? He said, the fields are white unto harvest. He said, there's all kinds of opportunity. There's all kinds of people who would be tenderhearted towards the things of God. He said, but what's the problem? The laborers are few. See, and, and that would echo today in our church and other churches. Hey, you know, Jesus would say, he'd say, look it out there. You live in South Florida. You live in one of the most unchurched places in the entire United States. There are hundreds of thousands of people who don't know Christ. And there's probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them that would be tenderhearted towards the cause of Christ. He said, the problem isn't that the harvest isn't there. The problem is there's not enough laborers out in the field. And, and so you, you might have trusted Christ when you were a very young person. And yet you may have lived your life in indifference to him. Now, you might have you know, paid him homage. You might have been active in church. And, and you might have even done this or that. But, you know, really, if you're honest... You've compartmentalized Christ, and he's just a compartment of your life, and, and, and he has to compete with everything else in your life, and oftentimes he loses to something else. Well, the good news is this. He's still calling you. And no matter what you've done, 
to this point, he's still calling you into his work. He still says, listen, you have opportunity. Even to the last hour, he went to, at at 5 o'clock p.m., he went and hired a group of people who had not been able to be hired. Maybe maybe that's because they were the poor, they were the weaker, they were the those who had some kind of, of a physical ailment that was obvious. But listen, everything we've talked about, family buy-in, everything we've talked about, management reliability, faithful perseverance, it's not too late. It's not too late. Because every day when we wake up, God calls us into his vineyard. He said, today's another day. I've got work for you today. I've got opportunity for you today. What else can we learn? Well, God is mindful of extenuating circumstances and opportunity. Again, he went all throughout the day. And some, he found at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, he said, said, why are you still hunting? He said, well, no one's hired us yet. Even uh, uh, 5 o'clock at night, he said, well, you know, no one's hired us now. Again, there might be a lot of reasons why that was true, but, but these people wanted to work. They wanted employment. They were there, and they were, they were not picked. Like, again, maybe they were, they were the scrawny ones. They were, they were the black sheep of the, of the herd. He said, I'll take you. He said, I'll, I'll take you. Now, see, God understands our lives. He understands that we cannot give him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He understands that that we have jobs and we need to work in our jobs. And he understands sometimes that that our health fails us and there's a period of time that that we're ill and, and maybe we can't do everything we were doing before. He understands your position in life. He understands everything about you. And he considers that. But yet... He's still calling you to work. Whether you're 15 years old here today or whether you're 80 years old here today, you still are valuable to him. You still have a purpose. He's still calling you to work in his field. It's not too late. We also see that God will be extremely generous to those who what? Who work for him. You know, don't you know that when he went to that final group at 5 o'clock in the evening, they could have just, what's the use? It's 5 o'clock. Well, we got one hour, we're going to work. What's the use? Probably most people would have gone home and said, it's too late for me. The day's gone. There's no, no, no purpose in this anymore. You know, but the fact of the matter is they went and they worked. And they, because of his amazing generosity, received an unimaginable pay. Now, the same is true for you and me. God wants to be generous And Jesus shares this whole principle 
building on what he had told his disciples, that, that anyone who leaves uh, houses and fields and moms and dads and sisters and brothers, and sometimes when we really go all in, when we buy into the family, a lot of people don't like it, and a lot of people will, will estrange us, and, and a lot of people will, 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 will have to, to create new relationships, and sometimes we got to lo- uh, leave old jobs, and sometimes we have to take risks and go in new directions. But he says, he starts this whole thing out saying, but anyone who does that for me, will be paid back a hundred times more and have eternal life. Now, he's not saying that's how you get eternal life, but he's saying in the eternal experience. But he didn't just walk around in this parable, the landowner, and just start passing out money to all the people in the marketplace. He rewarded them for what? For work. He rewarded them for work. See, and the same thing's true of us. Just because we've trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior doesn't earn us eternal rewards. That is God's gift to us. God did everything necessary to accomplish that opportunity for us. And in his grace and in his mercy, he doesn't count our sins against us, but he put Jesus on the cross to die for us. But we can't stand before God one day and say, well, I trust that your son, well, that's all about what he did for you. That's all about what he did for me. See, our eternal rewards will be based on what we do for him once we enter the vineyard. It's not too late for you. You have an amazing, gracious, generous Savior whose passion It's the lavish reward on you. It really is. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, that's what I'm really like. See, they were were concerned that he was being unfair. And he says, yeah, I am being unfair. I was unfair to pay. It was unfair to me to pay you a denarius for a day's labor. That's me. I'm unfair. I don't don't treat uh, people the way the world treats them. I treat them all better. See, in the parable, he says, I want these men's... I want these other workers, their families, to have food tonight, just like your family. I want them to be able to to buy clothes for their children. I I want them to be able to have oil for their lamps. I I want them to have what you have. And so, why why are you questioning me? I want to bless everybody. But he only blessed those who worked. Are you rapture ready? Are you really ready for eternity? Are you where you want to be? Now, Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 1 through 4, he says, Now, brothers, about the times and the dates, we do not need to write you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. In other words, now he's talking about all the people who will never trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. He says when this rapture happens, when all this stuff starts happening that leads into the final times and the millennial kingdom and destruction of the heavens and the earth and and the new heaven and the earth, earth being built and everything. He says, those who are without Christ, all this is going to hit them like a ton of bricks. They're not going to see it coming. But he goes on to say, but you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. In other words, he's saying to you and me, this is his message to us today. He's saying, not you guys. That shouldn't happen to any one of you. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be taken off guard. You shouldn't act like, well, well, what's this? I never knew this was coming. No, you do know. 
And so therefore, every single day of life that we have left is another day to minimize our regret. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 20, or 58, Therefore, my brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. In other words, don't let anything get in your way of preparing for eternity. He said, be resolute, be determined that you're not going to let anyone or anything rob you of your opportunity to minimize your eternal regret. He goes on to say, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. What he's saying is, is you can't work enough hours. You can't possibly give God too much of yourself and of your resources and of your talents, of your time. He says, you, you, you'll never, he says, you'll never give too much. He says, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Why? Because it's for the most generous master that has ever existed in time or eternity. Your labor is for the one who will bless far, 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 far more than you deserve or you have earned. But he's just not going to hand out suckers in the end. As we've talked about in the series, it will determine by all those things that we talked about, about your family buy-in. Do you really love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, do you really, have you made him the focal point of everything in your life? Well, he'll bless us to the degree that we have or we haven't. How, how about personal productivity? Do you have fruit? Have you stored up treasure for yourself in heaven? Or have you lived your life all about what you can get and what you can experience here in this life? How about your management and reliability? As God looks at everything he's entrusted to you, that he owns, he owns it all. Is he looking at you and saying, you know, you've been faithful with a little, I can trust you with a lot. Or is he looking at you and saying, I don't know, you really haven't done good with the little I've given you. How can I trust you with more in eternity? See, faithful perseverance, the trial that you're going through now. Are you going through it understanding that it's an opportunity to prove your faith genuine in the Lord? That it's an opportunity to comfort others who will go through or are going through that same trial, the same type of trial with the comfort that God will give you when you are all in for God. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 11, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. And what's he saying? He's saying, understand the present times. I understand the shortness He's saying, you understand our salvation is, is closer now than it's ever been before? In other words, do you understand that Jesus is coming again sooner? It's closer to that time than it's ever been? And so his admonition is wake up. Wake up. Minimize your regret. Wake up. Are you 
really rapture ready? Are you really ready for the endless eternity that is to come? Well, the good news is it's not too late. It's not too late. Today is an opportunity. And and, and this might be the, the 11th hour for you. This might be the end of your life. This might be the last day you have. But if God sees the turn in your heart, if God sees a turn in your, your affection and your relationship to him and your determination to make your life count for something bigger than this, then Jesus said in the parable, see, this is how Kevin's going to be. Even that person who comes, I'm going to bless beyond their wildest imagination. That's the God that we as believers stand before. That's the Savior as we as believers will meet soon. Are you rapture ready? Let's bow our heads. There's two contemplations as we end this series this morning. One is, are you ready for the event, the rapture? That sudden transporting of millions and millions of believers off of the earth to meet Jesus in the air? Or would you be left behind? Jesus talks about that too. Jesus said, one will be in bed, one will be taken. Two will be in bed, one will be taken, the other left. Jesus said two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. And the reason one's taken and one's not taken is based on what they've done with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. You're not rapture ready. You're not event ready. You would be left behind. The only way to, to be ready for that event is to humbly put your faith in Jesus Christ to believe that he alone can give you eternal life. Or he alone can forgive your sin. He alone can adopt you into the family of God. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, and every head's bowed, no one's looking around, just so I know if we have that need here, right now I'm going to ask you to raise your hand, say, say, saying, Pastor P, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. But I know I need to. As I anticipate it in this service, all of us have trusted Christ. So now the question becomes, am I going to be like Schindler? When I stand before Jesus, am I going to see the opportunities I've missed? Or at least to the best of my ability and the best that God gives me the strength to do it, am I living my life in such a way that the body of heaven will surround you and and me and put their arms around us and say, no, no, don't regret. You did amazing. You saved so many. You proclaimed his name so boldly. You have nothing to be ashamed of. Right now, we're at a crossroads, every one of us. 
I've taught you what God's word says about being ready for eternity as a believer. I can't choose for you what you'll do with it. But I want to remind you that even if it's the 11th hour of your life, you still have an amazing opportunity. And Jesus Christ one day still will lavish eternal rewards on you that are unimaginable. This morning, Florida Bible, will you give your heart back to God? Will you not make him a part of your life? Will you give him preeminence in your life? God, we have studied the word that you have inspired men to write. And God, we're thankful that you haven't left us without direction. You haven't just uh, kind of said, well, we'll see how you do. But you, you have given us direction. You've shown us what the criteria will be for our eternal evaluation. And Lord, you have given us yet another day to work in your field. Lord, I pray for those who got out in the field in the sixth hour. They, I pray for believers here today who have been believers for many, 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 many years. Help them to know that this was just a story and, and it demonstrates your generosity, not exactly what's going to happen. And so God, may they come away knowing that, that everything they've already invested is going to be rewarded far, far more than it deserves. And yet every day is an opportunity to build on that. For we have seen, you'll, you'll appoint some as kings of countries in the, the eternal kingdom. Others you'll appoint over five cities and ten cities, but Father, you will always give us more than we have given you. But Lord, help us to wake up. Help us, like Paul said, to wake up from from, to sober up, to wake up from our sleep. And Lord, not allow culture and time and money and material things to, to rob us of the opportunity you've given us. Bless us, anoint us with your presence. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Our ushers are going to come and this is an opportunity for us to, to make an eternal investment. We have opportunities to serve. That's another opportunity. We have an opportunity just to comfort people and to love on people. All of that is opportunity. And so I'm going to invite you to, to prepare your offering now for the Lord. And if the offering plate does pass before you, before you've had a time to, to, to get your offering together, then there's envelopes at the kiosk, and you can, you can give an envelope or a, a, an offering on your way out today. Father, we now give you our gifts. And, and, and Lord, we just... Uh, Pray that there'll be a demonstration of our family buy-in. And Lord, of our faith, that the little we give, you will bless unimaginably. Let us believe the words of Jesus that anyone who leaves father or mother or sister or brother or, or friend or field or, or house for your sake will receive a hundred times more in eternity. Bless us now as we give. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Many of you have asked about the series, and the series is available even this morning as you leave, the entire series. You can stop at the resource table, and Ceci will help you with that.
But let me encourage you. Don't give up. It's not too late. You have an amazing opportunity. And Jesus himself demonstrated in his own words today how generous he is and how generous he wants to be. That's his heart. You saw the heart of God in that parable today. What did the landowner say? He said, why would you be angry with me? Because I'm generous. Because I care.